you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. From the Moan Broadcast Center at KPCC, this is The Frame. I'm John Horn, and thanks for joining us during our spring membership drive. We've got big news out of both coasts today. The Coachella Music Festival is officially postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. The massive event is being moved from April to October. We'll have more on that later. But we'll start with the news out of New York, where Harvey Weinstein was sentenced this morning to 23 years in prison. He was convicted last month of committing two felony sex crimes. The sentence, which was close to the maximum that Weinstein was facing, marks a watershed moment in the Me Too movement. Elizabeth Wagmeister is a senior correspondent for Variety. She's been covering the case, and she was in the courtroom today. Elizabeth, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So set the stage for us. Who was there at the sentencing and how did it all begin? So the sentencing began with a very powerful moment. Before Harvey Weinstein even arrived, the six women who testified walked into the courtroom together. This was the first time they had ever met. Uh, None of them had met throughout the trial. So they all walked in in a single file line. The lead prosecutor, Jonah Luzzi, who is the assistant DA for Manhattan, she walked in behind them. And then they all sat next to each other and they were talking, they were smiling. And then two of the women actually gave Uh, statements. So Miriam Haley and Jessica Mann gave statements. They were very passionate. They were very emotional. And that was a big moment of the day. And then an even bigger moment was Harvey Weinstein. He gave his own statement. This was the first time that he had ever spoken up in the courtroom because he did not testify during the trial. So that was a huge shock to every reporter there, certainly myself. We knew that that was a possibility, but we did not expect him to speak since he hadn't before. And I think everybody would agree what he had to say was so tone deaf that I don't even know where to start. How would you summarize what it was that he said and how it was received? I think that your reception is spot on. First of all, in the courtroom, as I said, everybody was so shocked that he was speaking at all that Every person that I looked at had a surprised look on their face. But then as he said certain things, such as, I'm confused, men are confused, there's been thousands of men who have lost their jobs, we're losing due process. When he said that, I looked around and I saw people with their jaws literally drop down. It did sound tone deaf, but to me, even more than tone deaf, it sounded like a man who was just truly desperate. And that is what he was. I mean, that makes sense. He was walking into a courtroom. He's already been convicted uh, for criminal sex act and for third degree rape. So he's a convicted rapist walking into a courtroom to be sentenced for a minimum of five years, a maximum of 29 years. He, I think, was probably in denial for most of this trial because Harvey Weinstein, I've had sources who have said that he has been a bit in denial. You know, he thought that he would get off. He never really thought that this would happen. But at this point, he's been staying in Rikers. He's seen all the everything that's been written by the media. I mean, he's walking in there knowing that this is not a good day for him. So I think that he just kind of grabbed at anything that he thought he could, and it was a desperate last attempt. But what's interesting is, as you said, John, he said all of these things moments before the sentencing, and you have to wonder, 
did the judge already know that he was going to give him 23 years or did it actually make it worse and the judge gave him even more time? The other thing is their guidelines were as low as five years, as high as 29. And there was what happened during the trial. But then there were some documents and emails released just ahead of sentencing. What did those papers reveal about Weinstein's behavior beyond what was heard during the trial itself? So yesterday, the court unsealed a thousand pages of documents. And at Variety, we went down to the courthouse. Uh, my coworker, Mackenzie Nichols, who she was at the courthouse many days with me, she was physically going through the paperwork. And it was a lot of emails that Harvey Weinstein had sent to his powerful, if not friends, at least peers. You know, he knew everyone from the Clintons to Jeff Bezos to Tim Cook, and he wrote emails to those people, not to the Clintons. That was not in the documents yesterday, but we got our hands on emails that he had written to the head of Apple, the head of Netflix, the head of Amazon, where he was giving a desperate plea to salvage his career. Now, these emails all came from October 8th, 2017, and why that date is so specific is because the first story in the New York Times came out on October 5th. Harvey Weinstein clearly caught wind that the board wanted to drop him from his own company, the Weinstein Company, that ended up happening on October 8th, the very day that he was sending those emails. So that was one thing that was revealed in the documents. But also, you had some really outrageous communication from Harvey to his spokespeople. You had him drafting PR statements where he said that he was suicidal. He, in one point, uh, responded to a reporter who was inquiring about an allegation with Jennifer Aniston. Harvey's initial reaction was to write Jennifer Aniston should be killed. I mean, there were really crazy, outrageous, outrageous forms of communication that we saw from Harvey Weinstein in these documents. We are talking with Elizabeth Wagmeister at Variety about the sentencing today of Harvey Weinstein. Did Judge James Burke say anything when he handed down the sentence? And did Harvey Weinstein show any reaction to the sentence? I was not able to catch a glimpse of Harvey Weinstein as the sentencing came down. And the reason why is just because he was surrounded. Also, he's sitting. It is not easy to see him in the courtroom. But I did see him moments before throughout the victim statements. And he was staring and seemed to be in disbelief. He seemed to be stunned. Uh, now, James Burke, he was very matter of fact. He really just gave the sentencing. He started off by saying that you have to register as a sex offender and and then he went through uh, the different charges and he said 20 years and three years. He was very matter of fact. There was no emotion, not that you would expect much from a judge. And it was very quick. You know, the, uh, the actual sentencing was maybe a minute from Judge Burke. But we were in court for about two hours with all of the statements from Weinstein's team and from the prosecution. What did the women who testified against him have to say, if anything, about the sentence? You know, the women afterwards, as I mentioned, the six of them who testified throughout the trial, they met for the first time today. And as they were walking out of the courthouse, they were actually greeted with applause. People, of course, this was open to the public, not that many members of the public could find space in the courtroom, but they would stand in the halls of the courtroom and they were clapping. They were yelling, justice has been served. And the women were walking out and they were crying and they were embracing each other. So this sentence, essentially, I would argue, is a equivalent to a life sentence for Harvey Weinstein. 
What does that mean in terms of the case that has been brought against him in Los Angeles? Does that trial still go forward? Yes. So that trial absolutely can go forward. We don't know 100 percent if it will, but everything that the Los Angeles DA's office has said has indicated that it will. And what will happen is that he will be released from custody in New York. He'll go to L.A., but he will have to serve his sentence in the state of New York before he serves his sentence in Los Angeles. And as you said, 23 years when you are at the age of nearly 68 and in the health that Harvey Weinstein is in. His team repeatedly throughout the entire trial has stated that he is in very poor health. His team even stated today in court when they were asking the judge for the minimum sentence of five years, they said it's a very sad state of affairs, but we believe that Harvey Weinstein may not even live through the minimum uh, sentencing of five years. So yes, there likely will be an L.A. trial, but whether or not he'll actually serve time in L.A., that seems unlikely. Elizabeth Wagmeister is a senior correspondent at Variety. She joined us from New York to discuss the sentencing of Harvey Weinstein. Elizabeth, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Coming up next on The Frame, Golden Voice has finally spoken. The Coachella Music Festival has been officially postponed. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Welcome back to The Frame. I'm John Horn. It's one of the biggest and most important music festivals in the world. And now, like a lot of other popular entertainment events, the Coachella Music and Arts Festival has been postponed until the fall. The Riverside County Public Health Office said it ordered the cancellation not only of next month's Coachella Festival, but also the subsequent Stagecoach Festival. The headliners at this year's Coachella Festival included Rage Against the Machine, Travis Scott, Frank Ocean, and Lana Del Rey. Chris Wilman covers music for Variety, and he's been following all of the Coachella news. Chris, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. So it felt inevitable that Coachella, like South by Southwest and other big music gatherings, would be postponed or canceled. What finally made authorities call it off? I think it's just reading the tea leaves. No one wants to... uh try to be doing this at the last minute, especially if there's a postponement involved. Unlike South by Southwest, this is a postponement. They're putting it off till October. And if they really wanted to try to rebook all or even most of the same acts, they really had their work cut out for them. And it wasn't something they could start to do two, three, four weeks from now if they if they wanted to lock in all these people for October. So the, the negotiations just to get all those acts back were incredible. And also, uh, nobody wants to be the last to be canceling something right as people are about to get on a plane. So it really benefited them to, just in terms of goodwill as well as negotiating a postponement, to do this sooner rather than later. The decision was made by the Riverside County Health Department. Is that important in terms of who actually decided not to proceed? You know, one factor is insurance. And since Coachella is postponing, not canceling, the insurance may not come into play. You know, it's more a matter, perhaps, of public perception that 
the festival can say, hey, you know, they made us do it. We didn't have any choice. And uh, the county lets them off the hook a little bit. But the county also has to worry about, for one thing, everyone's talked about this uh, elderly population, if we can use the word, in the Coachella Valley. And, you know, those people won't necessarily be attending the festival. I mean, I, I would probably be have been the oldest one there. So, and may, maybe I count as elderly under current <laughs> coronavirus um, <laughs> qualifications. But, you know, there, there's so much interaction with innkeepers, being beekeepers, restaurant owners, uh, that um, I think, you know, the, the Coachella Valley, the population had a very mixed reaction about, yes, we're going to lose all this money, but half the people out here are over 60, so... Is this something we really need an influx of international visitors right now? So there are the headliners, but on any given day at Coachella, there are a number of other acts that are performing at various venues. How many of those acts do you think they can rebook? Because sometimes tour schedules are set you know, a year in advance. Do you think they're going to be able to get pretty much everybody back or just some of the key players back? They certainly had to lock in the key players before they could announce this, but there are dozens, maybe even over 100 acts on the Coachella bill altogether. Uh, you know, the ones in the tiniest print, like on the 15th line of the poster, probably not super important whether they lock all those in or not, but those are also the acts maybe with the most motivation. Um, you know, I, I looked up a lot of tour schedules. Um, you know, not a lot of acts have their tours booked into October. But, you know, one thing we've noticed is that uh, Coachella will take place over two weekends in October now. And then in Austin, there are two weekends of the Austin City Limits Festival. And the second weekend of Coachella will coincide with the first week of Austin City Limits Festival. So that may hamper uh, Austin City Limits' ability to get acts. You know, one more blow that Austin needs right now, right? Uh, but uh, ho hopefully they'll all work it out. Because it, it, it seems like you know Coachella is the uh, gorilla in this situation. Has Coachella said what ticket holders are supposed to do? Because maybe people aren't available to come back in October. Maybe there's you know hotel reservations that they've prepaid for that they can't get out of. Any any idea of what people are supposed to do next? Well, Coachella, fortunately, they've said that people who can't come in October can get refunds and stagecoach as well. And that differentiates it from uh, the Ultra Festival, where people have just been told they get a credit toward next year, uh, which, as you can imagine, is outraging people. As far as hotels and planes, um, you know, the, the airlines seem to be very understanding these days about accommodating people. And I think, you know, hotels and B&Bs are going to have to go out of their way to uh, not piss people off. If you had an Airbnb, that's where it gets the, the trickiest because they seem to want you to negotiate with the individual homeowner, which uh, is not a lot of fun. There are other festivals outside of South by Southwest and Coachella that we haven't heard about yet. Bonnaroo, Glastonbury, Electric Daisy, Carnival Festival, Burning Man maybe. Any idea what might be the next shoe to drop? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there, there, there are, you know, even sooner than that, the ACM Awards in Las Vegas are coming up at the beginning of April, and they're holding firm. They're still going to do it. And I think uh, Las Vegas uh, has a special interest in not canceling because they're really worried about a domino effect there. But, you know, yeah, we're starting to look at June, July. People are projecting, can this thing really be over by June? And uh, But if it does dissipate, how dumb do you look if uh, 
you know, you cancel July festivals and, and suddenly uh, uh, this thing does get under control in April. So, um, you know, I, I sympathize with all these people who are, are trying to figure it out. But, I, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, buying tickets right now for anything that's going on through July. Uh, it just seems so iffy. And um, e- even now, it's it's like, is October safe? <laughs> it's like, you know, we're postponing Coachella until October. Are we sure we're going to uh, be up and feeling robust by then as, as an industry? Chris Willman is a features editor at Variety where he covers music. You can read his coverage at Variety.com. Chris, thanks so much for coming back on the show. You bet. And that'll do it for today. Thank you so much for supporting KPCC. I'm John Horn. We'll be back here tomorrow. Alleyist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events.